0: Amen. Well, uh, I have a captive audience this morning because uh, the only thing standing between you and lunch is me. <laughs> how hungry are you? Give me an amen as to how hungry you are. I uh, doesn't sound very hungry at all. All right. <laughs> Ladies in the kitchen told me they need it till one o'clock, so um, I plan on filling every moment. Well. Uh, thank you for being here today, and I want to speak to, to our fathers today. Uh, but more than just fathers, I want to speak to our men today. Uh, maybe you're a young man here who's not married yet, and one day you hope to be a father, but today's message will apply to you as, as well as it will to, to those men today here who are fathers. And then there are some of us, like myself, who our children are all grown, but we're grandfathers. And uh, i got to tell you, that's the best part of life right there, is the grandchildren. Brother Gary, if someone would have told me about this years ago, I'd have just skipped right past children and just went right to grandchildren. It is, it's unbelievable. And, uh, oh, I love, I love my grandson. And boy, I tell you, you you better not get between me and him because uh, some fur going to fly. There'll be some gray hairs laying on the ground, I guarantee you, but... Uh, I want to speak to the men today. Now ladies in the church, uh, you you're going to benefit from this as well, I believe. But I want to speak to men this morning. And ladies, don't take this personal and don't take it as an as an affront, but God is God seeks men to do his work. That's just the way it's been since the garden of Eden and it's the way it's going to be throughout uh, all the time we have on this earth, God is looking for men to step up to the plate. Uh, now, praise the Lord for those ladies who have no husbands in their lives or have no no men in their lives that will step up, and they will. Praise the Lord for that. Paul spoke in Scripture of some ladies that were very helpful to him in the ministry, and I certainly... I believe, ladies, you can have a wonderful part and a very, very important role in serving the Lord. But primarily today, men, God is looking for you to step up. He's looking for you to be the leader in your home. He's looking for you to be the leader at the workplace. He's looking for you to be the leader in our, in our communities. And, and men, need to, men need to step up. And we're going to talk today about, about men. The uh, title of my message this morning is, Is There Not a Cause... And from this, this simple phrase, many of you already know what scripture we're going to. But let's take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to look at David some today. We're going to talk about David and uh, David and his confrontation with Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'll begin reading at verse 20. If you would, please stand with me in respect for God as we read from his word. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse number 20. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hands of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came, and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man uh, that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Let us pray. Our Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we we fail to understand why you love us as you do. Father, we are a feeble people. We are... We are a wicked generation, yet you love us. And you've, Father, you've, you've regenerated us and you've cleansed us. You've empowered us to live for you and we are so thankful today. And now, Lord, as we come together here to, today on this Father's Day and as we speak to these men, we hear the question that David asked so many thousands of years ago, is there not a cause? And today, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and help us to see the need for men who will stand by faith and men who will live godly lives in this wicked world. Help us today, each of us as men, to to assume the responsibility that we have as your children. Bless this time now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we see here the army of Israel on one hilltop and the army of the Philistines on the other and between them is the valley, the valley of Elah. And Goliath comes forth from the army of the Philistines and he comes down into the valley and he challenges any man from Israel to come and do battle with him. And if any man from Israel can defeat him, then the Philistines will be the servants of the, of the Israelites But if he wins, then the Israelites will be the servants of the Philistines. Now, this might not seem like a bad deal. Rather than have thousands of men fight each other, just have two men do battle. And that might not be such a bad deal if Goliath were a normal man. But Goliath was no normal man. The Bible tells us that Goliath stood nine foot, nine inches tall. That's pretty tall. I'm six foot, but that's not nearly nine foot nine inches tall. If, if we were to lower one of our basketball hoops, the, 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 the hoop itself is at ten foot. That's only three inches shorter than Goliath. That's pretty tall. The Bible tells us that the coat of armor that Goliath wore was 5,000 shekels in weight. And I converted that this weekend and learned that that is equal to 126 pounds. Just the breastplate that Goliath wore weighed 126 pounds. The shaft of his spear was the size of a fence post in diameter. And according to the common... uh, armaments of the day, the shaft of the spear would have been approximately somewhere between 19 to 26 feet in length. This ceiling, if I'm not mistaken, is at 24 feet. Goliath would have had a spear that would have been nearly the length of the ceiling to the floor and would have been the diameter of a fence post. The head of his spear The Bible tells us weighed roughly 15 pounds. His total armor, according to historians, is estimated to have weighed at least 225 pounds. That would have been almost like having me jump on Goliath's back as he ran across the field. You'd say, How much more than that do you weigh? None of your business. Proportionate to his size, Goliath's sword would have been approximately six foot long. That means Goliath would have had a sword about the same size as me. That's a pretty formidable opponent. I mean, standing on the other side, looking down at that, and say, whoa. I mean, that's WWF style stuff there, man. I wouldn't go fight him. He would have been a very... A formidable opponent, to say the least. Now, David, on the other hand, the Bible describes him as a youth. The Bible describes him as ruddy. And in my, in my studies, that word ruddy means effeminate looking. In other words, David would have, would have been a, a youth approximately between the ages of 16 to 20... He would have been small of stature. The average Jewish male in David's time were five, was 5 foot 6 inches tall, the average. King Saul, the Bible says, was head and shoulders above every man in Israel. So Saul was the tallest Jewish man. He probably stood at about 6 foot, maybe 6 foot 1, 6 foot 2. So David then was somewhere shorter than 5 foot 6 inches tall. I, I was observing at our camp out, Eric. Where's Eric? I was observing Eric standing next to Carson. And I thought, you know, I think that's probably pretty much proportionate of David and Goliath. So I, I went home and I did some ratios, some proportions, math, estimating Carson's height and estimating Eric's height, and I found that ratio proportionate it would have been the same as watching Carson take on Eric. Not as, not as Carson's daddy, but as a fierce enemy ready to destroy him. So, so we're, we're looking at quite a scene here. Now let me turn our attention for a moment back to our present day. There are many giants, many Goliaths, if you will, that we must face each day. And and I know that there would be many good reasons that each of us could give not to face these giants. We see from the scriptures we've already read the fear of the men of Israel, including King Saul himself. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 10 through 11, we read, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. These men could reason that they had too much to risk in facing Goliath. I mean, they had their homes, they had their families, they had their children, and and there was too much to risk, too much to put at risk to go down there and face Goliath. So when faced with the challenge... They would hide behind rocks, or they would hide in their tents. We read a moment ago from verse 24 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were sore afraid. And in comparison today, men are still using such reasoning not to stand up, and not to face down the giants and the ills of our society. But then we see this lad come along. His name is David, and he is but a boy. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, and verse 42, uh, Goliath gives us the best description of David that we find. In verse 42, he says, And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. He was just a little rosy-cheeked, must-haired lad. Now, I think it is important this morning for you and I to understand that David was such a youth. He was not a seasoned man of war. He had not seen battle the way that Goliath had. The term ruddy denotes a certain effeminate quality. He was not exactly what you might expect, given the reputation of King David. I mean, if, if you only knew of the, of, the, of the future feats of David, and you thought of King David, probably in your mind you envisioned some mighty, strong, big, muscular, uh, brawny man. But that wasn't David. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, in verse 2, we read, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. And and here we see, as I stated earlier, that King Saul was much more of a man than David in physique. Yet, while the soldiers of Israel's armies cowered in fear, so did King Saul. The man who should have gone down and confronted Goliath for he was the anointed of God it was his job it was his responsibility to battle Goliath but he hid in his tent but along comes this young lad and I could almost picture David out there talking with the soldiers and here comes Goliath and Goliath starts defying God and I could almost see David climb up on a little rock and look down at that big old brawny man and says who is this guy how dare he defy my God? And David's brother Eliab said, Ah, get down from there, David. I know you. You're nothing but a show off, a big mouth. Shut up and get down. And David looked at his brother Eliab and said, What have I done? Is, not, is there not a cause? And that's what I ask today. Is there not a cause? My question to every man in this room today is there not a cause? Isn't it about time that God's children stand up and confront those that would blaspheme the name of God? Isn't it about time that that we follow the example of David and confront the Goliaths that we face? Now, that being said, I want to spend as brief a time as I possibly can this morning looking at the common truths that tie you and I today to David. The things that were a part of his life that are also a part of our lives and will enable us and help us to be the kind of men that David was. The kind of men who see and accept the challenge that we face today. So first this morning, number one, I want us to see that David was chosen by God. I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Just the very chapter preceding the one that we started with. And we'll begin reading at verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go. Uh, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king... Among his sons, Now save a little time, let's jump on down to verse four. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, "Comest thou peaceably?" And he said, "Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord, sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice." And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said surely the Lord's anointed is before him but the Lord said unto Samuel look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him for the Lord seeth not a man not as a man seeth for man looketh on the outward appearance but the Lord looketh on the heart and let's skip a little time and jump on down to verse 11 and Samuel said unto Jesse are here all thy children And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and withal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And we see from from this story that we've just read that Jesse had eight sons, Seven of them were were, were men of great stature, men of great physique. But we see that God rejected those seven, and he chose David. You see, God didn't choose the biggest. He didn't choose the fastest. He did not choose the most intellectual. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 22... We read, and when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony, and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfil all my will. We read just a moment ago that the Lord said he that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, and what he saw in David, though he be a lad, was a man with a heart for God. David was a man called and chosen by God. But then again, so are you and I today, if we be the children of God. We are called and we are chosen by God. And, and we may think to ourselves, well, you know, God can't use me because I'm too young. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's what some teenager says here today. Or maybe some young man says, well, God can't use me because I'm not, I'm not strong enough, I'm not big enough, I'm not fast enough. We are all chosen today. We're all called and chosen by the sovereign will of God. In 1 Peter 2, 9, we read, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been chosen today, but not by our will or desire, but by the will of God. In John chapter 1, we read, But as many as received him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Yes, it is by God's will that I am born again today. God has called me from death and darkness. We read it just a moment ago, 1 Peter 2, 9 again. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you where? Out of darkness into his marvelous light. David was but a boy and he was called by God. He was chosen by God because God saw in David that which would, a man who would fulfill his will. And today I pray that you and I could be those kind of men, the kind of man that, that, that in our heart God sees and knows that we will fulfill the will that he has given us. He has chosen us today to live unto him for all eternity. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted. And the beloved, he has ordained us to witness for him today, each one of us. John 15, he tells us, "Ye have not chosen me, But I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. He has empowered us today. He has empowered us to walk worthy of him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we we see in verses 15 and 16, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy. For I am holy, and today you and I have been empowered by God to live holy lives. And there's so much more that I could save at this time. David was chosen by God. And it is the knowledge of this that enabled David to stand and face Goliath when others cowered in fear. You've been chosen by God this morning. And it is it is the knowledge of this that will give you, the men today, the, the courage to stand up in your homes, at the workplace, in your community, and live your life under God's glory. So first, we see that David was chosen. But then secondly, today, I want you men to see that we have a tie with David in this. And that is that David was confident in God. Not only was he chosen, but he was confident. You should still be at at 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now look with me, I'm sorry, chapter 17. Now look with me at verses 31, and uh, we'll read through verse 37. Verse 31, and when the words... Uh, were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Isn't this sad? Here this little boy is standing there talking to the king and said, don't worry, don't be afraid, don't lose heart, I'm going to take care of this guy. Imagine Carson walking up to, to, to Eric and saying, don't worry daddy, I'm going to take care of everything. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine uh, to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. In this we we can see the contrast between King Saul and, between, and David. You see, Saul could only see what could not be done. All Saul could see was a giant that was stronger than him, and he, he, what he saw was what could not be done. But, but David saw what could be done. He saw Goliath, the heathen, the heathen lying dead in the valley of Elah. David could see the fowls feasting on the flesh of this Philistine. He could see this because of his confidence in God. And David understood, and and his confidence came from his own personal experiences. God gave David the strength to defeat the lion, and he gave him the strength to defeat the bear. And David understood that we, as God's children, Can live with assurance that God is always on our side. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, we read, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest? Today, far too many Christian people have no confidence in God. Oh, they say that they have confidence, but their actions prove differently. You know, there's an old saying, and it goes, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Not a bit of a, a little bit of a tongue twister. But what that saying is, it's easy to say something, but it's not so easy to do it. And the only way to gain confidence in God is for someone to put him to the test and allow him to prove his strength and power. Tell me, men, do you have the confidence to tithe today? Do you have the confidence to take money that, in your mind and and, and in your in your logical reasoning, you, you, in other words, you're like Saul. You can't. It can't be done. It can't be done. Or, or are you like David? Well, I don't know how it's going to get done, but it's going to get done because it's God's will. And God will do what God will do. Do you have the confidence today to serve the Lord? Have you been been called to do something? Have you been approached to do something and you say, I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. I I, I can't do that. Are you like Saul and you you look at what can't be done? Or are you like David and looks at what can be done? Not because you're doing it, but because God is doing it. And this is the confidence David had. David looked at that 9 foot 9 inch man and said, I don't know how I'm going to beat you, but I'm going to beat you. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to happen, but you're going down. Because he had confidence. He had the confidence to know that if he was doing the will of God, it was going to be done. David was a man that God could trust. He knew that David would always do what he expected him to do. And furthermore, David had proven God. He knew that God would empower him to do what he wanted him to do. You know, I'm so tired of naysayers. Do me a favor. If you lack the confidence to believe that God can do what, he's, what he said he's going to do, if you lack the confidence to believe that, then, then just keep it to yourself. Because I am confident in God's ability to do what he has said he will do. Paul had confidence in God. In Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Step out on that limb. Don't be afraid of it breaking. Have confidence in God. When it seems impossible, trust the Lord that he will see you through. Proverbs chapter 3, in verse 5 through 7, we read, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. David was chosen by God. So are we. David had confidence in God, so can we. And then thirdly this morning, David was courageous through God. Should still be at 1st Samuel chapter 17. Let's look at verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Courage is defined as that quality of mind which enables men to encounter danger and difficulties with firmness or without fear or depression of spirits, with valor, with boldness, and with resolution. Courage is doing what has to be done without knowledge of or consideration of the consequences of those actions. Now follow me for a moment here. David had confidence in God, but he also realized that it just might be God's will for him to die in this confrontation. However, David was prepared to face Goliath without regard for his own life. And I'm afraid that too many Christians face failure today because they simply lack the courage to step out by faith. What are you willing... Let me ask you a minute. What are you willing... What price are you willing to pay for your wife and children today? Is there any danger you would not face to defend and protect your wife and children? I think most of us would say, no, there isn't anything. I'd face anything to protect my wife and to protect my children, as, as we should. But what about this? Are you willing to face anything for your God, who is your Savior and Redeemer? You say, well, wow, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. You can go ahead and let go of 1 Samuel chapter 17. We won't be back there. Romans chapter 8. These are very familiar verses I'm going to read. Let's begin at verse 28. And we know, you should circle that word know, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. Now wait a minute. This term good is relative we know that all things work together for good. Define good. We were at the camp out there. What was I can't remember what somebody asked me, Brian. And you were standing by me in there and I said, "Define whatever it was." Oh, clean. I think it was something had fallen on the ground or something. That's not clean." I said, "Define clean." Because clean is a clean is a matter of perspective, isn't it? It's relative. To a starving child in a, in, a, in a foreign country, that piece of sausage that fell on the ground is perfectly good to eat. Whereas to a spoiled, rotten American, it's not. So, we need to, we need to define good in this verse. Good by whose, by whose perspective? From, from whose perspective? Good by yours or good by God's? Now remember, God's, God's idea of good is a lot different than ours. You know, the scripture says that God has great pleasure in the death of his saints. So, so in some cases, for me to die would be good, to, in God's opinion. wouldn't be so great in mine, but it would be good in his. So when we say that all things work together for good, we've got to be careful, because good is relative. And we have to look at good from God's perspective. Romans eight doesn't say that everything's going to work out to be a bed of roses. What it does say is everything's going to work out according to God's will and according to the purpose of his plan. But maybe it's God's will for me to die. I mean, I've had some big question marks over the year of some of the people that, have, that the Lord has taken. Why? I don't know, but God knows. So David here, he's, he's facing off to Goliath, and he knows everything's going to work out for the good of the will of God but he's not he he has no he has no real assurance that it's going to work out for the good of him but then again if he dies he's with the Lord in heaven isn't that pretty good? that's not pretty good? pretty good to me and you know when you you really understand what's being said here you have no more fear in your life because what can happen to you? what's the worst thing that can happen to you? You die. Oh, well, what happens to you when you die? You're with the Lord. What's so bad about that? Unless you're not going to with the Lord, then it's not so good. But here we see in Romans, and I took up too much time. I'm not going to be able to read all this that I wanted to read. We see that things work together for good. Let's jump on down to the end so I can, I can give you... Um, Let's go to verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen, if God is for you, can Goliath hurt you? And what are we worried about? Why do we have to cower in fear? Why do we have to run? Why do we have to hide? If God is for us, then nothing can be against us. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Oh, we're, you know, we're, we're so, I don't, I don't even have an adjective for it. God, God did not spare his own son for me. And, and, and am I to live my life in, it, with the opinion that God is not going to give me freely all things that I need and, and that, that are according to his will? David had courage. David said, I'm not afraid of Goliath. I might die, yeah, maybe. If that's what God wants, then so be it. But David knew that even if he died facing Goliath, David knew that at the day's end, the entire armies of the Philistine would be destroyed because he knew that God would be justified and the victory would be his. David had great courage. And we can have this courage too. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, John tells us, Year of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, let's come back full circle this morning and we'll be done. David was a man after God's own heart. He was a great man and a, a blessed believer. When the time came that he needed to take a stand for God, when he needed to put it all on the line for the Lord, he proclaimed, is there not a cause? In other words, he is saying to those that told him to be quiet, why are you troubling me about this? This heathen's mouth must be stopped. There is a reason for my attitude. And I ask this morning to all the men that are here present, is there not a cause today? Will we continue to sit idly by and watch our nation drift farther and farther away from God? Will we just turn a deaf ear to the blasphemous teachings in our public school systems that permeate the world today? Will we just close our eyes to all the filth and all the debauchery that permeates our televisions, the radio stations, the internet, all the media, Will we just sit back and tolerate the abominable works of man in the face of our holy and righteous God? Is there not a cause? Isn't it time that we as men stand up and be accounted for? Isn't it time that we as fathers teach our children... The truth of the Lord, the glories of God, you men with little children. I'm talking to you men with babies in the nursery. I'm talking to you men with children in our primary classes. I'm talking to you, uh, you men with children in our teenage department. Are you going to continue to sit there and watch filth on TV? Are you going to continue, continue to Twitter and tweet and post vile and profane things on Facebook and laugh and, and giggle about sin in the face of your children? Or are you going to stand up and be accounted as a man of God? A man who loves the Lord. Is there not a cause? I can't answer for you, but I can answer what I believe. If you get an email from me, this will be in the signature. Joshua 24. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't want to make anyone mad today. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings today. But I, as the preacher in this pulpit today, Cannot allow you men to step out of here this morning without challenging you to make a choice, to choose a side. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve Jehovah God? Or are you going to serve the gods of our fathers on the other side of the flood? Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What about you today? Is there not a cause? There most certainly is a cause. And as I said, ladies, that doesn't exclude you. There's a cause for our mothers today to be chaste and godly women in the home and teach their daughters to love their husbands and teach their daughters to to, to live a, a moral life. Oh, there's a big cause today, folks. My prayer today is that each one of us in this room will accept our responsibility to answer that call. Let us pray. Our Father, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy of honor. Thou art worthy of praise. And Lord, everything, everything that we see about us is yours. And you've called us. You've chosen us. And you've promised that you would take care of us, that you would never leave us nor forsake us. You've given us the confidence we need to live for you. And then, Lord, you've promised us the victory. You've told us that all things will work out according to your will, that we never need fear that that we will be caught out in the darkness, but that all things will work together for good according to your purpose and plan. Give us the courage we need to live our lives with, with that truth. I pray you'd bless all that are here today. I pray you'd speak to our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray you'd move us and cause us to make decisions. Cause us to choose a side. And then live our life with the knowledge and the confidence that we are your children. Thank you for this day. I ask that you bless all that was done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.